like that. You might all have 
rejection, whether it's the perfect job that was for us, or maybe the perfect relationship that we thought, um, or maybe even a rejection from a friend. And uh, all of those women can start, right? Uh, because they break the relationship. There's a break of relationship in rejection. Um, in fact, scientists have found that um, physical pain and relational pain, like breakups, like rejection, light up they say break the arm of the heart, it feels the same to us. Um, so it's no wonder that when we think of sharing our faith, uh, one of the first things that come to mind is the fear of being rejected. Uh, at least it does for me. Uh, but what if we could normalize rejection a little bit? What if we knew that rejection was part of living in the way of Jesus? What if we knew that deep down in our souls that he never leaves us, nor forsakes us, um, and in light of that knowledge, uh, we can face rejection. We can sacrifice our momentary discomfort to share about the good news, and let the Holy Spirit use us to draw others to him. So what if we are giving people the opportunity to say no to a God that they may one day say yes to? That though they reject us or God or sometimes both, uh, we don't have to throw away that relationship. So here's the question, folks. Why did rejection occur and how do we face it? Uh, so with that, let's go ahead and pray. Dear Jesus, uh, God, I'm just so amazed at who you are and your faithfulness to us. God, that you would want to be in relationship with your creation, who are marred by sin, but in God, I look forward to the day that every tribe, tongue, and nation places your holy name. And God, we ask that you would help us understand and work through what rejection looks like today in light of spreading the good news. Because you are so good and you are so worthy of sharing your name to those that don't know you. So Lord, we ask that you would open our minds, open our hearts, and open our spirits to what you Amen. So we're going to be in Matthew 12. So go ahead and open up your Bible. Once again, to Matthew 12, your Bible, uh, your app, whatever you got. Go ahead and read Matthew 12, 1 through 14. So at that time, Jesus went through the great fields on the Sabbath, and his disciples became hungry and began to pick the heads of grain and eat. But when the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, Look, your disciples do what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. But he said to them, Have you not read what David did when he became hungry? He and his companions. How he entered the house of God, and they ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those with him, but for priests alone? Or have you not read in the law that on the Sabbath the priests in the temple break the Sabbath and are innocent? But I say to you that something greater than but if you had known what this means, I desire compassion and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Verse 9. Departing from there, he went into their synagogue, and a man was there, his hand was withered, and they questioned Jesus, asking, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? So that they might accuse him. And he, Jesus, said to them, What man is there among you who has a sheep? And if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will he not take hold of it and lift it 
sheet, so then it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and it was restored to normal life again. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him as to how they might destroy him. Uh, that last sentence gets, or er, verse gets me. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him as to how they might destroy him. This is not only rejection, but it's assassination. How in the world do Pharisees, after watching men take rain and watch Jesus heal a man, arrive to the conclusion, well, we must kill Jesus? Great question. So glad you asked. We're going to look at the two similarities between these two moments. The Pharisees believed they were holding to the law, the Jewish law, and that Christ and his disciples were breaking, right? What Jesus knew was that the Pharisees were not holding to the law. The Pharisees believed they were holding to it, and Christ and his disciples were breaking it, but what Jesus knew was that the religious leaders had added to the law. The Pharisees had built cultural traditions onto their Jewish law in order to win God's favor. And Jesus, knowing this, clarified that his disciples were not breaking the sacred laws. They were breaking the traditions of the Pharisees around it, and in so doing, they were condemning the innocent. Which brings us to our first point. Why do we face rejection? Well, we will face rejection when we choose Christ over cultural tradition. We will face rejection when we choose Christ over cultural tradition. We don't follow what our culture has built upon the scripture. Uh, we follow Christ, and because we follow him, we will face rejection. It comes with Jesus stated in John 15, 18, if they hate you, they hated me first. The word that Christ chose here was hate. Not dislike, not have some beef with, but hate. I just wonder, have you ever felt hated for your faith? Are you so countercultural that you have been hated for knowing Jesus? And, and I want to get a clear picture, though. I don't mean countercultural as in being obstinate, right? We know those Christians that are countercultural, but in reality, they're just being really obstinate. No, I mean <laughs> countercultural in practice. I mean, one of the loudest cultural conditions we face right now is live your truth, right? How many people have heard that person? I feel like I hear it all the time. Just live your truth. She's just living her truth. He's just mm -hmm. living his truth. And your truth, my truth, all truth is relative. <clears throat> But the gospel of Christ rejects that. And it rejects this cultural tradition. Christ says, I am the way, and the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but through me. This is the message that we're sharing when we talk about Jesus and his saving power. We break off our current cultural tradition, much like the Pharisees did with theirs. And we break off that truth is relative. And we go back to it's not a popular notion, but it is helpful because when each person's relative subjective truth comes up, there is a greater truth that connects us. Because living your truth or living my truth, eventually it will come up short. Just like it did with the Pharisees. Um, we're going to see next that even they added to their truth of healing. Verse 9, it says, He then goes on to heal and he was healed in their synagogue. And the Pharisees take issue with that. They said, you can't do that, Jesus. It 
choosing Christ over living your truth is being dedicated to the truth that each person is an image bearer who gives us a reflection of Christ's goodness, his beauty, and his truth. We have the opportunity to look more like Christ through responding to his salvific message. And this is the common unity that we will cultivate, that will cultivate true community. So the Pharisees added their culture, and their legalism blocked their humanity. And Christ had compassion and healed the man. The Pharisees desired legalism, and Christ desires compassion. So how do we face rejection when it happens? Well, in the face of rejection, we must remain compassionate. So how do we face rejection? Well, we must remain compassionate. Christ could have, after being Right after he healed a man, and after being confronted and rejected by the Pharisees, he could have given up. He could have said, "All right, disciples, like we're going to pack this up. We're going to go to the next city over. There's a lot of people I can heal over there." Uh, because rejection sucks. In Christ, as we know, he was fully God and fully man, so he experienced all of these emotions and feelings like we do. And rejection hurts. I mean, there's guys. There's so many songs uh, about rejection. I mean, Taylor Swift has made her whole career off of songs about rejection. <laughs> uh, and if we're honest, the catchiest songs are those that are like in your field, right? They have a little bit of edge to them. Uh, we're all working ourselves. We're working that rejection out when we sing along. Uh, I don't know if you guys know there's this new song that's out. I, you know, it has some colorful language to it, uh, but it's Olivia Rodrigo's Good For You. Um, and it goes like, uh, good for you, you're looking happy and healthy, not me. If you ever care to ask, good for you, you're doing great. Tell me about me, baby. Man, I wish I could do that. Right? And you're like, well, she got, she got some work to do. But it is a top hit everywhere, right? People are listening to it, jamming out. I mean, we hear people um, driving down our street, blaring it, and singing their hearts out because it's easy in the face of rejection to get bitter, and to turn angry. Mm -hmm. Christ could have become a domineering, angry Savior. Um, I mean, even later in the passage, the Pharisees ask him to perform a sign. In other words, to perform a miracle. And, uh, and Jesus didn't respond by saying, don't you know who my father is? It didn't come with, oh, you Pharisees want to see a sign? Mm -hmm. I'll show you a sign, didn't he? with the shame of like, because I just did a sign and you rejected that. Uh, no, his sign was compassion. It came with tender mercies. It came with no quarreling and no arguing. It came with gentleness and hope. This is the sign of our Savior. And a challenge for us, people that are empowered by his spirit, uh, but being far from Christ, is to replace this place rejection with the same gentleness of Christ. How we respond to rejection is also a testimony to those who don't know him. I'll say it again. How we respond to rejection is also a testimony to those who don't know Christ. The medium matters just as much as the message. I mean, our response to their response speaks and shares of our witness. Rejected? Well, I still love you. And my God is so loving and he loves you. Well, what's, I mean, what's the alternative, right? We blare Olivia Rodrigo, or we become 
sinners and condemning those. Um, we think of the people who are on their loudspeakers, on their megaphones, saying, um, saying some really awful things. Or we can follow in the way of Jesus and embrace his tenderness and his mercy. The only balm to our souls after rejection is the connectedness to our Father. So verse 18, it says, Behold my servant, servant, whom I have chosen, my beloved, in whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him, and he shall proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel, nor cry out, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A battered reed he will not break off, and a smoldering wick he will not put out, until he leads justice to victory. Matthew, the author, took this straight from Isaiah 42, 1 through 4, and it shows us where Christ got his strength to face the rejection of the Pharisees. Christ's inner resolve, his inner strength, came from knowing whose he was. Behold my servant whom I have chosen, the Son of God, the Beloved. Again, this is our invitation to others. God then speaks of Christ at his soul. Yes, God has a soul. Was well pleased. Lower and lower. and compassion. 
compassion, right? The scripture said, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So how do we face rejection? Well, we offer continued kindness that leads others to repentance. In addition to compassion, we offer kindness, which means we continue to loan our strength to others. So getting back to Isaiah 42, it's a prophetic text. So it's highlighting the Messiah's death, right? Isaiah 42, Old Testament, pre-Jesus. Um, so when these words were written, it was a promise Christ not yet realized. But I want to continue in Isaiah 42, 6. It says, I am the Lord, I have called you in righteousness. I will also hold you by the hand and watch over you, and I will appoint you as a covenant to the people, as a light to the nations, to open blind eyes, to bring out prisoners from the darkness, from the prison. In the face of rejection, Christ is with us. He is molding our hand. He is watching over us and is with us. We carry on. We carry on to love and serve the world with Christ's kindness, whether or not our message is received. Which that in and of itself is so controversial, right? Most people extend what they have and they expect someone to come to receive it and to walk with them. And when they reject it, says, okay, we're gonna walk the other way. But we say, you know, that's okay, we're gonna bless you in that. You didn't receive it now, that's okay. I'm still going to bless you, and I'm still going to honor you and love you. It's a calling to serve even after the message is rejected in order to continue the message. When Jesus was rejected, he kept on giving. Day after day, Sabbath after Sabbath, even after knowing people were going to continue to fail him. He knew that the whole time, and that never waned his commitment to caring and loving for people. So today, when there's so much to be canceled for, of being rejected for his word, his sacrifice, his life, that would be worth facing. That's what the disciples believed. That's what those who continue to spread the gospel believed. Cancel me, cancel Jesus, cancel church. We're still here to serve. We're still going to be here to serve. And you know, the disciples still did. And their followers still served. Approximately five years later, after the incidents with Pharisees, Paul and Barnabas, two folks you guys might know well, followers of Jesus, they arrived on the scene in Acts 13. And they're in Antioch serving and sharing about Christ. Um, and after sharing the good news to the Gentiles, uh, the, they erupted with pure joy. The Gentiles, after hearing the word, they erupted with joy, and many came to know him. Um, but immediately, Paul and Barnabas are met with this intense persecution. And in Acts 13, it says, from the prominent men and the leading men of the city. And they were driven out of town. And so what, what Paul and Barnabas do, well, they followed their Savior, and they followed his example, and it says they shaked the dust off their feet, and they went on their merry way. Uh, they shook the dust off their feet. My Latina self would not have shaken the dust off my feet. Mm -mm. I would have said, I would have, like, taken off my boots, I would have told someone to hold them, I would have, like, gotten in their face, and been like, I'm bringing you good news, y'all, like, what, you know, we're going we're gonna to figure this out. Um, <laughs> but, but, the, sorry, but they didn't do Paul and Barnabas, they didn't stew, they didn't take up words with someone, they didn't perform a miracle, they just shook the dust off their feet and they um, kept on going. So after rejection, sometimes we carry, we carry no sharing. 
to share with someone else. Why? Because we're filled with the Spirit. And we're filled with the joy of the Holy Spirit. We stare at rejection with joy. Because suing and rejection blocks the joy of the Holy Spirit. Paul and Barnabas, they go on and they face much more rejection. Uh, in fact, uh, after Antioch, they learn of a plan uh, of people who wanted to stone them. Uh, but what I can't help but think is that they kept on going. And it is the joy of the Spirit that comes from knowing that many will come to faith in light of their sharing the good news. Uh, I had a friend in high school, uh, his name was Josh, and he and I were really good friends. He and I just, we clicked, you know, people you meet, like, you're like, oh, we're just going to be the best of friends. He was one of them. And um, I went on to college, and he stayed behind here in San Diego, and when I returned back from winter break, um, he and I reconnected, and I found out he had fallen on some hard times, and he was living in his car. And so um, I went to my parents that day, um, and I was like, hey, Josh is in his car, like, is there anything we can do? And um, my parents opened up their home to him. And uh, I'll never forget one morning I uh, walked out into the kitchen, and he was sitting there um, at our kitchen table, and um, I was like, morning, Josh. And he's like, morning, Missy. And then there was this stillness in the air, and I was like, <laughs> and um, I'll never forget um, settling up with him at the kitchen counter, and uh, he just looked over at me and he said, uh, Missy, why didn't you tell me? And I was like, tell you what, Josh. And he, uh, he said, this morning your mom brought you to Christ. And now I know him as my personal, I know, him, I know Jesus now. Yeah. Why didn't you ever tell me? And I was like, in that moment, I felt elation, like so excited that Josh would know Christ as Savior, and also a deep conviction that I never shared with him. Because I thought, certainly, Josh knows about Jesus. Like, he knows that I wasn't the kid that went to parties, or I didn't do this, or I did that, all because of my love for Christ. Josh knew that. But I had never shared with him Jesus. I had never shared with words what he had done in my life. And I share this story because even though I felt convicted, I will also never forget the joy that filled my heart knowing that um, Josh's life is going to be forever changed because of his love for Christ now. And knowing that joy will make all of the difference as we continue on to share more about Christ with those that don't know him. Don't let the fear of rejection steal the joy of the Holy Spirit. So this week, I want to ask you guys, who is God calling you to share with? <clears throat> who is that person of peace that you think God has already prepared their hearts and God is nudging you towards to share him with? Because that person's ready. And, and that friend is ready. That coworker could be ready. That family member, shoot, that family member could be ready. Evangelism is our cost to bear, but go to others with Christ's joy. The author of Hebrews writes in the midst of persecution, in Hebrews 11, fix your eyes on Jesus. And then he writes, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. If you're faced with rejection, if you're facing rejection, be like Jesus, persistent, loving, compassionate, 
Jesus is the most joyful being to have ever lived. So share his joy with others. Share his joy over others. Envy. Just me. You'll face one of the most joy-filled moments you've ever had. so good that you would share your joy with us. And God, you are so great.